Please turn in your Bibles to Proverbs chapter 4, Proverbs chapter 4. And if you need a Bible to follow along, the guys have some, so just get their attention. They'll get a Bible to you so that you can look at Proverbs 4 with us and a number of other Proverbs that we're going to look at together as well. The first will be in Proverbs 4. It's marked there in those Bibles, and those Bibles are our gift to you. So please uh, keep that as, as our gift. We want everybody to have a copy of God's Word. You know, there was a time when a squirrel could travel from Maine to Georgia just by hopping from one chestnut tree to another. The reason is because chestnut trees were a major source of wood moldings in homes all across the country. So we had a plenteous supply of them at the time. They were used to great effect, but in 1904, a shipment of Asian chestnut trees landed in New York City. And as a result, our landscape was changed forever. The Asian trees carried a small fungus that was imperceptible to the untrained human eye. In a short time, the mighty chestnut was wiped out. And so gone was the majestic charm of these giant shade trees, Gone were the delightful nuts that used to be more than just used on holidays. Gone forever was the hardest and most beautiful wood known for trim molding in homes. Now today we're going to see something that has more destructive force than a fungus. Something the Bible says can set a whole forest on fire with just a small spark. We're in the midst of a series, the title of which is on the screen behind me, Living Wisely in a Foolish World. We began it three weeks ago. And it's comprised primarily of topics from the book of Proverbs. And the book of Proverbs is really all about wise living. But last week we looked at a passage in the second part of your Bible, the the New Testament, in the book of James, because James chapter 3 gives a succinct profile of wisdom. James 3, I just remind you, for those that were here last week, says this, Who is wise and understanding among you? Let him show it by his good life, by deeds done in the humility, and you notice I have in brackets there, by deeds done in the gentleness or meekness. Those are all words for that word that's translated humility. So if one claims to be wise and understanding, it should be demonstrated by his humility, his gentleness, his meekness that comes from wisdom. I quoted for you last week New Testament scholar D. Edmund Hebert who said, with regard to this quality of meekness, the meek man does not feel a need to contend for the recognition of his rights or acceptance of his personal views. The passage goes on to contrast that kind of humble, meek, gentle wisdom with another kind of wisdom. But if you harbor bitter envy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast about it or deny the truth. Such, and you notice it's in quotes, such so-called wisdom does not come down from heaven, but it's earthly, it's unspiritual, it's of the devil. 
This ambition that's focused on self, that's focused on me, can be seen in having to be heard. And so the person who has that sort of an approach always has to have their voice heard. Everyone is entitled to my opinion, is the motto. Or it can be seen by having to be in position. I should be doing what he's doing, or I should be doing what she's doing. Or if I can't do it, then someone who thinks like me should be doing it, which is just as good. As long as they do my bidding, we're good. We saw all of that and more last week. But I want you to see something else from James 3. I'll put it on the screen for you in just a moment. It's no accident that the passage just prior to the one that we just looked at, that contrasts true and false wisdom, it's no accident that the passage just prior to that says this. The tongue is a small part of the body, but it makes great boasts. Consider what a great forest is set on fire by a small spark. The tongue is also a fire, a world of evil among the parts of the body. It corrupts the whole person, sets the whole course of his life on fire, and is itself set on fire by hell. You see, friends, the false wisdom, this wisdom motivated by selfish ambition, the false wisdom of which James speaks expresses itself. It does not hold back. It may not say all that it wants to say because it's too smart for that, but it can't be completely restrained. The person who has that sort of wisdom will express his or her selfish ambition by boasting to build his or herself up or tearing down others, by the way, which has the same result, to build yourself up, or by seeking to win others to his or her cause. And God spares no condemnation for the heart that is bent on expressing itself in this way. In God's word, he calls it, as we just read, evil. Set on fire by hell. Now friends, we cannot be naive then about something that God takes so very seriously. When we are focused on ourselves and our opinions and our rights and our position, we cannot dismiss it by saying, but we mean well. The passage says this so-called wisdom is earthly, it's unspiritual, and of the devil. And so we cannot say, I mean well. He means well. She means well. Or we cannot comfort ourselves that we mean well when we exhibit that kind of heart by the way we talk. God doesn't say this person means well or that we mean well. He says it's earthly, unspiritual, of the devil. God cares very deeply about how we use our tongues, how we use our mouths. In just the 31 chapters... In just the 31 chapters of the book of Proverbs, there are no fewer than 134 passages that deal with how we talk. 31 chapters in Proverbs, no fewer than 134 passages 
dealing with the tongue and how we talk. Now, you'll be glad to know we're not going to cover all 134 today. But, you know, it does raise a question, why does God care so much about how we speak? Well, it goes back to the beginning, because God created, He made our ability to speak. And He knows its power for good and for evil. Let's remind ourselves of the fact that God is the one who gave us this ability to communicate. Our good God made us with the capacity to receive His truth and to speak in ways that are consistent with His truth. Of all of His creatures, only humans are able to converse with God. And at the beginning, the first man and the first woman exhibited this innate, unlearned, God-given ability to communicate with God and to communicate with each other. They were made by God to... to use these abilities to receive His truth and to communicate as a means to reflect God's character in the way they talk to Him and in the way they talk to one another. But we know what happened. They chose to use the good gift of God in a perverted way. In the third chapter of the Bible, we find Eve in conversation with a serpent. And she's receiving then not God's truth, but Satan's lie about God. And in turn, distorting what God has commanded, and that inevitably led to disobeying God. And immediately, immediately in Genesis chapter 3 in your Bible, their mouths were used for self-centered rather than God-centered purposes. For selfish preservation rather than selfless love of others. And all of their children, and I'm one of them, and you're one of them, All of their children have come into the world with, on the one hand, the same innate God-given ability to receive and transmit. But on the other hand, we all come into this world with a perverse disposition to use that ability for our own ends. You do not have to teach a child, a toddler, to use his or her tongue selfishly, do you? They learn no really fast. Now, they, they learn to say no to you, not to listen to no from you. They learn that really fast. Or they learn mine really quickly. Or they might even just blurt out a, I hate you. Many a mother has heard that and wondered where that came from. Well, it's because I didn't get what I, what I wanted. And when I don't get what I want, my tongue is used in ways to tear down, to destroy. Now, this is the way we come into God's otherwise good world. God made it for good purposes. It's been perverted and distorted for our own ends. In your New Testament, in Romans chapter 3, there's a catalog there. Of the condition, then, of all mankind after the fall into sin by Adam and Eve. I'm going to either just quote for you or put on the screen. I'm a little shaky about the putting on the screen piece at this point. But you might just have to listen up as I quote for you some passages from Romans chapter 3. In Romans chapter 3, we're given this whole catalog of the condition of 
depraved, sinful humanity. That would be all of us. And what's interesting about that passage is it tells us that there is a malady, there's a problem, a spiritual problem with our character and with our conversation and with our conduct. It covers all of those. Rooted in our character, we don't talk the way we should talk. And we don't act the way we should act. Character and conversation and conduct, all in Romans chapter 3, verses 9 through 18. And everything that's listed there are quotations from the first part of your Bible, the Old Testament, to prove that this is not a new phenomenon. It's not just something that is true of some people. It's been true of all people going back to the fall of our first father and mother, Adam and Eve. And so when it deals with our corrupt conversation in Romans chapter 3, it says this, Romans 3, verses 13 and 14. Their throats are open graves. Their tongues practice deceit. The poison of vipers is on their lips. Their mouths are full of cursing and bitterness. Now, to get all the their language, so you're sitting there perhaps thinking, well, yeah, I know that's true of them. But it's talking about us. That's our condition. That's the way we have perverted the good gift of communication that God has provided for us. And so their throats are open graves, an open grave revealing the filth that's within. Their tongues practice deceit. The word that's translated deceit was used of the baiting of a hook. A bait was placed on the hook to hide the danger within. And so flattery and friendship and spiritual talk even, deceit. The truth of the matter is, many of us will say anything to make someone think we're on their side. We'll say anything to make people think well of us. Or as we'll see in a little bit, we will fail to say what we ought to say in the presence of evil communication in order for people to like us and think well of us. Mankind's speech, according to Romans 3, is said to be deadly and hostile. The poison of vipers is on their lips. Their mouths are full of cursing and bitterness. Now, if you're sitting here feeling like I am as I stand here, and I go through that catalog of problems that we come into this world with, it's depressing, and I say to myself, it's, it's hopeless. It's absolutely hopeless for me. Well, if you're saying that, then you're getting the idea that Romans chapter 3 is trying to communicate. But the good news is there's hope not in us, therefore. But there is hope found in Jesus Christ. And we're going to see that in just a bit. Now, I want you to follow along, if you will, with the outline that we've inserted in your program. And as we look at what the book of Proverbs and other passages have to tell us, about the use of our tongues, our words, our ability to speak. As I say in the outline, we're going to see this. Our words expose our hearts. And our words can do either great help or great harm. They expose our hearts because the first major point I have in your outline is this. Words come from the heart. Now I'd ask you to turn to Proverbs chapter 4. Please look at verse 23 with me. Proverbs 4.23. Above all else, 
guard your heart. For it is the wellspring of life. Put away, verse 24, perversity from your mouth. Keep corrupt talk from your lips. This proverb, this this, this section in Proverbs is teaching that, indeed, the way we speak is something that comes from, is sourced in our hearts. Because verse 23 tells us, it is from the heart that the issues of life spring forth. It's the wellspring of, of life. And one of those things that issues forth from our hearts is the way we talk. Thus, verse 24, put away perversity from your mouth. Keep corrupt talk from your lips. When the Lord Jesus Christ walked the earth, he spoke words that contained this very truth. In Matthew chapter 12 and verse 34, Matthew 12, 34, Jesus said this, Out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. So when I speak, when you speak, it is always an expression of my heart. It's always exposing what's in my heart, says Jesus, says Proverbs. The full passage in Matthew chapter 12 goes on to say this. Jesus said, out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. And then he says, the good man brings good things out of the good stored up in him. And the evil man brings evil things out of the evil stored up in him. But I tell you, says Jesus, that men will have to give account on the day of judgment for every careless word they've spoken. For by your words you will be acquitted, and by your words you will be condemned, says Jesus. I thought it was hopeless before. And so, isn't it the case that we simply cannot say, you know, this is just the way I am. You'll just have to deal with it. And yet, how many times is that what we say or have we heard said? Look, you just got to understand the way I operate. This is just the way I talk. <laughs> I've got news for you on the authority of God's Word. You need to change. The way you are needs to change and issue forth in a change in the way you talk. It is not okay to say, take it or leave it. And yet that's what so many of us want to do. I'll give you an illustration of this from years ago. I'm glad I can chuckle about it now, but it wasn't funny then. We had a fellow in our parent church many years ago. Long gone. And I can't tell you how many long, I'll call them discussions, most people would call them arguments I had with this guy. And he would say things, and I would hang on every word he was saying. Do you know why I would hang on every word he was saying? Because words matter. I've been trained that way. Words matter. God communicates in words. Words matter. Words are sacred things. What you say, and how you say it, and what I say, and how I say it, matters. When you say something to me, I am listening to the words you use. And I'm listening to the words he uses. And I'm responding. And I'm saying, now you said this. How can that possibly be the case? And we would go back and forth. We've been doing this for a long time. 
sometimes about very important matters. And I still remember one day him saying to me, quote, Kenny, I don't mean any of that. That's just the way I talk. But here's the problem. If I can't know what you mean by what you say, how can I possibly have any clue what you mean? And for a Christian, we do not have the option of saying, that's just the way I talk. The way I talk has to be in line with the character of Almighty God. It has to be truthful speech. It has to be honest speech. It has to be edifying speech, as we're going to see. And so, Proverbs 4 and verse 23 says, Above all else, priority. Number one, guard your heart. Why? Because it is out of the heart that everything else comes. And so in guarding your heart, what are the kinds of things that we should do? Let me give you some suggestions for things we have to do if we're going to guard our hearts that are so important because out of them come everything, our hearts come everything else. As we guard our hearts, we ought to guard who it is we listen to. Right? And that means like the news you listen to. You know, we've got this polarized thing going on in America right now. Where you can choose your own, quote, news station to give you whatever slant you want on the news. You want a liberal slant on the news? Go to MSNBC. You want a conservative slant on the news? Go to Fox News. We've all got our own set of news, you know, but everybody's entitled. Listen, everybody's entitled to their own opinion. People are not entitled to their own set of facts, okay? And so I I listen to both of these sometimes, and they just say, this is completely hopeless. Guarding your heart means guarding who it is you listen to. And we don't traffic as Christians in spin. We traffic in truth. And so you cannot say truthfully, Obama is a Muslim. If you've got evidence that Obama is a Muslim, I'd like to see it. And if you don't have evidence that Obama is a Muslim, you cannot like Obama, you can vote for somebody else, you cannot like his policies, you can't lie about Obama. But you also can't say, Bush lied to get us into a war. You can't say that truthfully. He gave false information that he thought was true. The Clinton administration thought it was true. The United Nations thought it was true. We don't traffic in spend, friends. We traffic in truth, no matter whose side is speaking. Guard your heart. Guard who you listen to. Guard, that includes even the news you listen to. Guard further, things like the music lyrics you listen to. Guard your heart. You can be sure you listen to enough of the raunchy lyrics or watch enough of the raunchy television and you will find yourself excusing in your own speech some of the raunchiness you've heard there. As you text. You know what the abbreviations mean? I mean, before you use them, you ought to know what they mean. You all know what OMG means? 
Do we use God's name that way? That's not the way we talk. Or if something was really funny, laugh out loud, is that what it is? Laugh out, LOL, is laugh out loud? I laughed out loud. That's really okay. Good. That was funny. You laughed out loud. But there are other acronyms that say it was so funny that parts of my anatomy came off when I was laughing. I laughed my head off. That would be okay. But there are other parts of anatomy that come off, apparently, when people laugh. And that are served in these acronyms. And they're not the way we talk. You need to be careful as you guard your heart. The perspective that you get from other people. About other people. About issues. And have the courage, as we'll see in a bit. To call somebody on it. When they speak in ways that they ought not. Words come from the heart. Let me give you some ways that we use our words in order to excuse, in order to deflect, in order to communicate in very subtle ways, in order to remain popular with people. Let me just give you some ways we do that. We, I include myself in this. We excuse ourselves. Two people are talking. They recount the conversation to me. I've had this happen. And they say, you know, we were, we were talking, but then they, they, they realize that, you know, in talking about them or about this, I might be doing what the Bible calls gossip. And they realize they're talking to the pastor. And so they're recounting this conversation and they catch themselves and they say, well, we weren't gossiping or anything. We were just talking. You know, in a gossipy sort of way. You see, somehow we can't easily excuse ourselves. This, this doesn't apply to me. It doesn't apply to my conversations. And so we excuse or we deflect. Ah, hey, don't ask me about that issue. I'm not, I'm not saying anything. Every time I open my mouth, it's apparently the wrong thing. I mean, I've been alive for 60 years, and I guess I just don't know how to talk. Now, that's a priceless piece of depravity at work. You know that? It's an admission, on the one hand, with a tinge of victimization, complaint, and finger-pointing. All rolled up into one. We excuse, we deflect. We want to be popular, and so we don't say anything to those who use their tongues in unbiblical, ungodly ways. Let me tell you something. If you stand for truth you will, in all likelihood, have some people who don't like you. And if your objective is to be popular with everybody, then you are going to have to disobey God in some circumstances. Because there are times when you have to say, this is not right, you can't say that. I knew a pastor, he's now retired, he was a really, he was a really good man. Pastored the same church for over 30 years. And every time I would hear his name, I would say, and I meant this as a compliment, I would say, I have never heard anybody say anything negative about that guy. And I meant that as a compliment. And for the most part, it is a compliment. He's a nice guy. He's a great guy. 
But the truth of the matter is, over 30 or 40 years, there are going to be some people who don't like you if you, don't stand, if you stand for truth. This all works in very subtle ways, friends. It's not just what we say, it's what we refuse to say. It is our, not just a verbal communication, but our nonverbal communication. Silence and nonverbal communication communicate something. Did you know that? Do you know in Acts chapter 7, there's a story of a fellow, a young man named Saul. There's the stoning of Stephen there. He's killed for his stand for the gospel in Acts chapter 7. But it mentions a fellow named Saul of Tarsus, later became Paul, after he was converted. But Saul was there at the stoning. It's not recorded that Saul said anything. It simply says that Saul held their coats. And then adds approving of what was being done. He could say, I didn't say anything, and he would have been truthful. But he communicated something, didn't he? And so, when I'm silent, then I've communicated that it's not appropriate for me to speak up, or not important enough for me to speak up. Now that may be true sometimes. But when it's in the presence of sin, it is never appropriate to be silent. And so our words come from our hearts. Notice in your outline as well. These words have tremendous, tremendous power. They have the power to build up, and they have the power to tear down. They have the power to build up. And Proverbs has a good bit to say about the power of our words to build up. I'm going to have you turn to a few of these, if you will. You should already be in Proverbs chapter 4. But take a look at Proverbs chapter 18. Proverbs 18. In verse 21. The tongue has the power of life and death. And those who love it will eat its fruit. The tongue brings death or life depending on whether its counsel is good or bad. Those who love it are those who enjoy using it. So when it says those who love it, it's those who love using their, their tongue. At every opportunity, they'll give their opinion or they'll offer advice to other people, one commentator has said. It is the tongue, meaning those who enjoy talking have, will bear its fruit, whether that fruit is good or bad. And the point is that the tongue, in the tongue lies tremendous power to affect the lives of other people. Turn back to chapter 10, verse 21. The lips of the righteous nourish many, but fools die for lack of judgment. Righteous speech serves the purpose of, of feeding or pasturing other people. That is, guiding them, instructing them, caring and guarding them. It edifies and it encourages others. But fools are characterized by a lack of discipline and discernment. And as a result, it brings destruction. Our words are powerful. They can build up or they can, they can tear down. Chapter 13, 
verse 3. He who guards his lips guards his life, but he who speaks rashly will come to ruin. Then chapter 14 and verse 3. A fool's talk brings a rod to his back, but the lips of the wise protect them. You don't need to turn there, but chapter 21 and verse 23, 21-23 says the same kind of thing. All three of these, 13-3, 14-3, 21-23, they all communicate the same thought. The person who fails to control his tongue jeopardizes his life. The person who guards it will be delivered from all sorts of trouble. And that principle has to do with with our own life. We can greatly affect our own well-being, personally, emotionally, spiritually, by the use of our tongue. And so our words have this tremendous power. And that's why, you may jot this down, Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 29 says this. Ephesians 4.29, Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. So I've been given this ability by God to communicate. It is used in very distorted and perverse ways by all the sons of Adam and Eve, including me, including you. God tells us to use it for the purposes for which it was given. Use it to build others up. Don't let any unwholesome talk, but only what is for the building up of others, Ephesians 4.29. Now, here's what that means. Failure to use my tongue positively in the lives of those that God brings into my sphere of influence, failure to use my tongue in a positive, upbuilding, edifying way is sin against God. This is where the silence thing rears its head again. Remember, silence communicates. But silence also fails to obey God's word. God does not say, I gave you that ability to keep silent. I gave you that ability to use and to use to edify, to build up in positive ways. It means I must have relationships with people to use this gift that God has given. To help them to build them up. When I am with them. I steer our conversation in ways that helps them, edifies them, builds them up. And failure to do that is sin. So it's not just what I say that can be sinful. It's what I fail to say that can be sinful. It's called a sin of omission. And does the Bible teach sins of omission? Indeed, James 4 and verse 17. James 4, 17. Anyone who knows the good he ought to do and doesn't do it, sins, says God. Our words have tremendous power. They have the power to build up. They have the power to tear down. Proverbs is full of admonitions about the harm and destruction that the tongue can do. Then in your New Testament, Philippians chapter 2 and verse 14, Philippians 2.14, the Bible simply says this. Do everything without complaining or argue. If I can't complain, what's there to say? 
I have to pretty much move out of the country. You can't be a good American without complaining. It's my right to complain. Freedom of speech so that I can complain. Well, that's an American right. But it's not a moral right. It's not a biblical right. It's not a spiritual right. As we go through this, I'm just wondering if anybody else here is like me. And you feel really convicted about the way we use our tongue and about the way we fail to use our tongue. If so, it's a painful thing. But see it as a good thing. You all remember uh, C.S. Lewis' Chronicles of Darnia. Some of you are familiar with those. And one of them is the voyage of the dawn treader. has a schoolboy named Eustace who crawls into a dead dragon's cave. While he's in there, he helps himself to a bracelet before he falls asleep. He awakes as a, as a dragon, and his greed tortures him because the bracelet is now embedded in his forearm. And he spends time trying to atone for his former acts, his former arrogance, but he remains a dragon until Aslan, who's a picture of Christ in these stories, until Aslan pulls him aside. Eustace is unable to peel away all the layers of this dragon's skin. And so Aslan digs deep into his hide and he peels it off, exposing Eustace's own skin. And he then washes him in a well and he reclothes him before he sends him back to the others. That's a picture of what Christ does with us. He peels back the layers. And exposes what's really there. Not just to leave us hanging, but to wash us and to reclothe us. Thanks be to God. And when you see in God's Word what God says about the evil that we're capable of, and you see in your own life the, the similarities in the way we talk and in the way we think and the way we fail to talk and think, to what God says about sin and the distortion and the perversity that is our own struggle with indwelling sin, when you see that, you don't dismiss it. You say, thank you, Jesus Christ, for peeling back the layers to show me where I need to change. And He gives you opportunity to change. He gives you the ability to change. You can't change yourself. But He does it. And even after you come to Him and He begins the change process, after you've been born again, and you now have new affections competing with these, still competing with these old affections, even then you still struggle and you still fail, right? And you come to something like this and He bids you, I'm peeling back the skin. I want you to see yourself as you truly are. I want you to see how much you need Me. And I want you to turn to Me again, anew and afresh, Every day. That's why John Calvin called the Christian life the race of repentance. I have to repent every day. Now friends, I've got a few more points to make in our remaining time. But this is a good time for us to stop. And for us to bow before our God. And for us to thank Him for peeling back the layers. 
and convicting us. If we come to Jesus, we thank Him that the truth of God's Word, even when it's painful, it resonates with us. Thank you for giving me a new heart, O God. But it's a heart that still struggles with sin. And so I confess, Lord, I haven't used my tongue the way I should. And I ask you to forgive me. And if we confess our sin, His Word promises He's faithful. He's just to forgive us our sin and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. That's for those of you who have come to Jesus. Those of you who have never come to Christ. We're going to bow in just a moment. Because you have been brought face to face with the enormity of your sin. Just like I have. If it's really as bad as I've laid out here, and it is, it's actually worse. If your sin is really in how you think and how you talk and how you act. If your sin is really in how you fail to think and fail to talk and fail to act. If it's all of that, you're hopeless. Unless somebody intervenes. But thanks be to God, Jesus Christ has intervened. This is why it is foolishness to think that I could somehow atone like Eustace tried to do. I can somehow make up for all of the sin that I have. Sin is not just what I do. Sin is what I am. And I need to be changed. And only Jesus can do that. So Jesus has paid the penalty that goes with your sin. And Jesus will give you new life. Not perfect life. Not yet. Not till heaven. But new life. New desires. So we're going to bow. Those of us who have come to Him, let us confess and thank you. And those of us who never have, may this be the time that you receive Jesus as your Savior. You bow before Him as your Lord. Let's pray to our God. Father, we thank you for this sacred time, sobering time, convicting time. But we thank you, hard though it be to look into the mirror of the pages of Scripture. I do see myself there. We see ourselves there. We see the enormous gap that exists between the portrait that you paint in your word and where we are in our lives. It's a gulf that is infinite. It's, It's something that we could never bridge ourselves. Nothing we could do could atone for the gap between you and between us because of our sin. We thank you that Jesus Christ and his cross lay across that infinite chasm and we're able to walk from where we are to where you are. You bid us come. You lead us across. One day we will be with you not because of ourselves but because of Jesus. And so, Lord, I pray for anyone here who needs to establish a relationship with you for the first time through Jesus Christ. I pray that they have seen the futility of trying to do it on their own. They've seen now that they need you desperately, that only in God doing for us what we could not do for ourselves can we have a relationship with you. I pray that they're acknowledging their own sin, asking you to forgive them, Acknowledging that Jesus paid the price in full. That you're giving them the promised new life that you give all who come by faith to you. I pray for my brothers and sisters here. Help us, Lord God, to take seriously what you say about our words, about our mouths, about our speech, about our tongues. This good gift that you have given to us for your good purposes, we so easily distort and pervert. And so, Lord, we ask you to forgive us. We thank you for the forgiveness we have in Jesus, absolutely guaranteed. We thank you for the Holy Spirit that chides us, convicts us, 
causes us to want to be like Jesus, causes us to want to reject these speech patterns, habits that we may have built up for many years. Thank you for that. Thank you for your word. And thank you for this work that you are doing in us. Continue that work to your glory, we pray in the name of Jesus. Amen. Our words emanate from our hearts, I say in your outline. Our words have tremendous power to either build up or to tear down. And then in your outline as well, we say that our words are something that we're going to have to deal with for the rest of the rest of our lives. They have to be controlled. And how are they to be controlled? They're to be controlled by the way we think. They're to be controlled by restraining our words. And they're to be controlled by the character that only God can give. For sake of time, let me give you some Proverbs that speak to each of those three, all right? And I encourage you to jot these down. Words must be controlled by the way we think. Proverbs 15 and verse 28. 1528. And Proverbs 1623. 1528-1623. Our words must be controlled by restraint. Proverbs 17, verses 27 and 28. And they must be controlled by God-given character. Proverbs 17 and verse 7. 17-7. My friends, I'd like to conclude with some suggestions then for what we should do as we move forward with regard to our speech, our tongues, our communication. I know a pastor in North Carolina who preaches a sermon every year, every single year he preaches a sermon on the use of the tongue. Preaches the same sermon, warning God's people about the potential destructive uses of the tongue for themselves, for others, and for God's church. You know, that's a wise man. Because he takes seriously what James chapter 3 says, this little spark can set a whole forest on fire. How many churches have been torn apart by failing to take this seriously? Here are four things that we should do as it relates to our tongues. First, the obvious. If you are engaged in gossiping, slandering, sinful use of your speech, you must cease, you must repent, go in a new direction. So first, if you're doing that, you must see the enormity, the seriousness of it, and stop. But here is one that may apply to even more of us. If we're listening to sinful speech, we must stop. We cannot be an accomplice to the crime of tongues being used in sinful ways. And we are an accomplice to that crime when we imbibe it, when we listen to it. Proverbs 17 and verse 4 says this, A wicked man listens to evil lips. A liar pays attention to a malicious tongue. When we engage in that, when we listen to that, it says something about us. 
So if we're doing it, we must stop. If we're listening to it, we must stop. Here's the third thing. You've got to avoid the people who are bent on doing that. Now, here's, here's one of the things that will happen. If you will lovingly confront the person who's doing that and say, I've been convicted, we can't talk this way. They will either get right with God and agree with you, or they'll get mad at you, and you won't have to leave them, they'll leave you. But either way, you cannot be silent because you want to be popular. You must confront that. And then having confronted it, you must avoid people who are intent on doing it. Proverbs chapter 20 and verse 19. He who goes about as a slanderer reveals secrets. Therefore, do not associate with a gossip. And then lastly, make it your ambition to use your tongue as a healing instrument. Make it your ambition to use your tongue as a healing instrument. Proverbs 26 and verse 20. For lack of wood, the fire goes out. If nobody provides the kindling, the fire, that spark, goes nowhere. For lack of wood, the fire goes out, and where there is no whisperer, Contention quiets down. You can be used as an instrument of healing with the way you use your tongue and the way you communicate. Let's ask our God to help us. Father, again, we thank you for this painful look into your word, but at the same time joyful because you care enough for us to show us where we fall short. And Lord, we fall short in so many ways. This is a way that is so intimate to all of us. It's with us all the time. We speak so many words to so many people in so many circumstances. And in the presence, your word says in Proverbs, in the presence of many words, sin is not absent. And Lord, I know it all too clearly. In my own life, we know it. But thank you for this reminder. Thank you for the Lord Jesus who cleanses us. We ask you, Lord, to help us as we seek to implement the, the resolve that we have given today, the commitments that we've made today. We cannot do it on our own, Lord God. We need the restraining influence of the Holy Spirit, the restraining influence of your word, the restraining influence of your people, helping us to move in the direction we must go with regard to our communication. May we glorify you in the way we talk. We pray in the name of Jesus. Amen.